and you may be seated. We're going to start with a video this morning. Uh, what would you say if you were able to go back and 
talk to yourself at 8 or 18 and give yourself some advice on how to live life. Uh, if you could write a letter, a few words to dear younger me, what would they be? What would you say? Uh, that song was written by the leader of a band called Mercy Me, and his parents divorced when he was three years old. He was raised by an abusive father, and no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't escape the beatings uh, that he said four or five times a week. And unfortunately, that beginning was what shaped his understanding of who he was and how he had to live in order to get by in life. And he came to believe that to be accepted and to be was uh, he needed to be perfect, to be loved, that he he had to do everything possible to please. And that song comes out of his experience of discovering after coming to faith in Jesus Christ that it wasn't his fault that his parents got divorced. Being perfect uh, wouldn't have stopped his father from beating him. And he came to understand he didn't have to live life trying to please others to be loved because in Jesus Christ he was loved completely and perfectly by God. We all have experiences, good and bad, that shape who we are and how we see ourselves. And uh, we remember words that were said to us or things done either uh, growing up or in school or in a first marriage or other situations that color our experience of life. And some of you had great childhoods and were well-loved. Others didn't have that. Um, but to some degree, uh, we all wonder what our lives would be back if we knew then what we know now, right? And if we could go back and change some piece of our story. Uh, it's like the um, movie Back to the Future. Anybody see that? Right? Okay, classic story. Marty McFly is this 80s teenager, and he grows up in a loser household. His father's a failure. His mother drinks too much. His siblings are like the, uh, the uh, model of underachievers. And it all started back when his parents were uh, teenagers in high school. His father was humiliated by this guy named Biff, who was the school bully. And so when Marty accidentally gets sent back to the year 1955, he arranges circumstances in such a way that his father is the one who, who, who humiliates Biff. Marty's dad knocks out Biff in front of his, Marty's future mom. And this one twist in the story recreates and rewrites history. And when Marty finds himself back in 1985, he finds his family living in this spacious mansion. His father has this famous wealthy author, very productive, and Biff is out in the driveway washing their car, right? And their whole family is changed by the changing that one encounter. And, of course, that's a fictional story. I'm not spoiling that for anybody, right? <laughs> it wasn't real. But we sometimes think our lives would be great now if they had been different then. And that, that's very true for some. But the truth is that for all of us, even if we had something painful or difficult in the past, in Jesus Christ, our lives can be wonderful right now. And the takeaway today is even if there are things in the past that are not good, God can use them for good in the present. Even if you have things in the past that were not good, God is powerful enough, good enough to use them for good in the present. We're going to look at a New Testament letter that was written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul was a leader in the early church. 
uh, writing to a specific church in, in this letter. But this particular passage gives us a picture of what God has in mind for all of us. Uh, the letter's written to the church in Ephesus, and Paul planted this church in the middle of a city that was known for its perfectionism. Uh, before we look at the passage of Scripture, I want to give you a little background so you can understand it in the context in which it was written and, and, and hear it kind of from the ears of the audience to which it was written to. Uh, so Alexander the Great, has anybody heard of that name before, right? In 330 B.C., Alexander the Great swept through, conquered most of the known world, and this took place during uh, the time between the Old and the New Testament. So you got this page there, blank page, between the Old and the New Testament. This was some of the things that were going on during that time, at the time of Aristotle. And Alexander, Alexander wanted the world to be Greek. He, he was motivated by the idea that humans were the, at the center of everything. The human body was the whole, highest form of beauty and uh, worship. The Greeks were driven by this ideology of beauty and courage and valor and achievement. And your value was derived from how beautiful you were or how brave you were or how smart you were or how good you were at something, uh, whether or not you were the best at something. And Alexander wanted the world to be Greek. And so he had these uh, the theaters, the gymnasiums, the arenas, everything that was taught in those were, was to uh, promote this ideal. Now, what would happen in a culture over time or a society if, you val uh, if your value comes from how pretty you are or um, if your worth comes from how athletic or intelligent you are? Uh, what happens if you're valuable not simply because you're created by God and of sacred worth, but if it only benefits, if your life only benefits the greater good of the society. Well, one thing that came out of that was laws about which children were allowed to live and which ones were to be discarded. And the midwives, there was a book for midwives at that time that told them which children uh, could be saved and which ones uh, and raised and which ones couldn't. If they had a deformity, if they were deemed too ugly, or if they seemed weak when they were born, then Greek law stated that the child was to be disposed of. And the way that they would do that was just take them up onto this mountain and they would let them be exposed to the elements uh, and left to die. So if someone in the first century didn't meet the criteria of a child that was to be raised, then they were taken up on this mountain. Here's a cave um, on one of the mountains there in Ephesus that is said to be a cave where the children were left, and, and they would leave you there to die. Now, sometimes the animals would uh, get these children, but Ephesus was also the center of slave trade. So there would be people who would go up into the mountains and sort through these children and find the ones that they thought might make good slaves and raise them to sell. But Christians had a different take on the value of people. They would go up into the mountains and bring home these children regardless of their deformities or their looks and love them and raise them as their own children. And this is the world the Ephesian Christians were living in. And when we read this letter, it's helpful to understand 
that background and the culture of those who are listening to this letter. So let's look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, starting in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And the words there, without fault, are translated different in various translations, but the basic meaning is that you're without defect, without blemish, without anything that would disqualify you from being loved and accepted by God. And this letter would have been read to the churches in someone's home or in a courtyard. And listening to it there in Ephesus would be Christians who had gone up on the mountain and brought these children home, as well as children and adults who had been rescued off of the mountain. And Paul says right at the beginning of this letter, God chose you before the creation of the world to be in Jesus Christ, holy and without defect in his eyes. God is not like the Greeks or the Romans. Uh, He doesn't see a whole list of reasons that you don't measure up. He sees you as holy and without fault, without blemish because of Jesus Christ. This was good news for the people of Paul's day. It's good news for us. And and I don't know how, uh, what kinds of hurts you've had in the past or ways that you have felt uh, rejected or abandoned or devalued or harmed or left out. But I know this, all through the New Testament, we find this same good news. There's a God who loves you and takes pleasure in you and accepts you and includes you in his family just as you are. He, he loves you because he created you. He loves you because Jesus Christ died for you. And um, if you want to pull out your message notes, we're going to look at three ways that we can live more fully into this truth that we can live um, fully in Jesus Christ regardless of what happened in the past. So the first thing um, we can do is don't let what people have done or said in the past limit what God wants to do in and through you in the present. God isn't limited by your past. And God is inviting us to rewrite our stories to question some of the things that we may believe about ourselves that just aren't true. Uh, God created you, and this is what's true about you. You are without fault in his eyes because of Jesus Christ. So don't let the past keep you from experiencing the joy, the blessings, the richness of life that Jesus intends for you right now. And this text is saying that when you say yes to Jesus Christ, um, you enter into this new kind of life that he promises you, and that that life isn't limited by your past. Then the second way that we live more fully as a child of God is to live each day the way you want to be remembered in the future. I was reading an article about uh, a new trend in obituaries, okay? I don't know where I get these things. But (laughs) obituaries have traditionally been written by uh, the family or the funeral home with the help of the family. 
And because they're usually written under difficult circumstances when people are grieving, uh, sometimes the information provided isn't exactly what the deceased would have wanted said, or, or they'd be surprised to discover that that was important to them, right? So the trend recently has been that baby boomers want to write their own obituary, and um, uh, they want to tell their own story. And the outcome from that is a no whole new industry of obituary coaching, okay? You can be an obituary coach. Um, many funeral homes and senior centers and other venues have courses on writing your obituary. If you go to Amazon, you can buy an obit kit, and uh, there are books there for writing a compelling obituary. But the truth is what's really crucial to an obituary worth reading is a life worth celebrating. And when, you know, when I meet with families for a funeral, I always ask, what do you think your loved one would want said? What would they want to be remembered for? And it's surprising, um, not surprising really, but no one ever says they would want to be mentioned how high they climbed up the corporate ladder or how much money they make. They always say what a loving person he was or she was, how much they loved their family. And, you know, people who write their own obituaries are discovering that that's actually kind of a helpful thing for them because it helps them to think about how do I want to live now so that these things are said about me in the future. And, and if you were to go back at age 100 and give advice to your younger you, uh, your advice would likely be focused on loving God more and loving others better. And so why not live today like you want to be remembered in the future? And Paul says in his letter to Colossians that we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness. Anything dark that's happened to you in the past, we've been brought out of that kingdom, transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. So we don't have to live under the cloud of darkness around us. We've been set free to, to live in this new kingdom kind of life. So the question is, how do you want to be remembered in the future? And um, we've been set free through faith in Jesus Christ to live that way right now. Uh, we can experience that freedom, the same freedom that the writer of this letter, Dear Younger Me, uh, found. If we will, number three, trust God to work everything together for good. Uh, you'll just find it so much easier to move ahead in life and not get hung up on past hurts if you give those hurts to God, if you forgive those who hurt you, and trust him to work everything together for your good. A, a little further down in this same uh, chapter in Ephesians, Paul says this, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. So, you know, people let us down, but God's ultimate plans for us are good, and they can't be thwarted. So even when people intentionally do us wrong, God can take all of that and use it for good in our lives. Um, it's interesting to hear Bart Millard's story, uh, the guy that wrote this song, um, when he was a freshman in high school, uh, his father uh, was diagnosed with cancer and sp spent four years 
dying of cancer, but came to faith in Christ and was completely changed. And he said at first he didn't want God's grace to be for his dad because of all that he suffered. Um, but he said as he saw the change in his dad and, and saw him becoming more and more a godly man, uh, he ended up wanting to be more and more like his dad. And, and um, that relationship with his father was healed. God can do anything. And as you trust God, he used everything to grow your faith in him and your understanding of who you are as a child of God. And you can lay the burdens of the past down. Um, as Bert Miller tells in the song, you were never meant to carry those beyond the cross. Um, and you can write a new story with Jesus as the author. So I'm going to close with this quote by Bart Miller and uh, the writer of the song. It says He's explaining who he is now, how he understands himself. He says, what I am is a child of the risen king who will wrestle with the flesh. I will win some and will lose some. But that can never change how Christ sees me because the cross was actually enough. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us on the cross and all the promises that are ours because of that, the life that we can have through faith in you. And we thank you for the reminder that the cross is enough, that it, the cross is enough to set us free from the hurts of the past. The cross is enough uh, for those of us who need forgiveness ourselves um, and who can be, need to be set free from the guilt of things that we've done. And I, I just pray this morning for anyone here who hasn't experienced the power of the cross and life in Jesus Christ, that they would take that step to give their life to you, Jesus, to, to watch you turn around their life. And, to, and if there are those here, God, who have had hurts in the past that need healing, I ask that you would give them the courage to, to lay those down. And we just want to go from here to today under the power of the cross and all that it means for us and all that was done there for us so that we could have a good life now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.